Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Langrant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Dooley, coming at you guys following Ohio State's 49-20 win over Michigan State. I was pretty close this week, Josh, on my final score prediction. I predicted 52-21, to so I was off by a total of four points between the two teams. Uh, you know, Michigan State's 20 is a little bit misleading because seven of that was on defense and their offense, you know, didn't give Ohio State as much of trouble as I thought, but nonetheless a close score prediction, but pretty much how we thought this game would go. Ohio State's passing offense did pretty much everything it wanted against Michigan State, and, you know, Michigan State could not run the ball against Ohio State and vice versa, so... Um, yeah, I think I think all in all, it's about what we expected in this game, but just another you know dominant performance from Ohio State as they move to you know six and zero heading into the bye week. Absolutely, and uh, you know first and foremost, happy bye week, Gene. I know we're looking forward to that. But as far as the Michigan State game goes, yeah, credit to you. You were closer than I was. I thought that Michigan State would put up more of a fight. Uh, I highlighted Jalen Berger as the offensive player to watch. I'm surprised you guys didn't fire me after Saturday. And Michigan State's pass offense was not everything that I thought it would be cracked up to be and then just you know a a dominant performance from CJ Stroud running game looked good and the defense continued to do what we've seen all season which is not you know maybe a ton of plays although they did have four sacks which was promising they just they got Michigan State off the field they gave up a couple of big plays which I know we'll talk about but other than that I don't think you can be upset with anything you saw uh, certainly not the final score and the beat goes on for this Ohio State team which has been really really dominant thus far yeah absolutely man you know we'll dive into both sides of the ball here um, offense and defense shortly but just looking at some of the, the final stats here I mean Ohio State outgained them 614 to 202 overall Michigan State finished this game with seven total rushing yards as you alluded to Jalen Berger not able to do much in this game five carries for seven yards um, as a team, they had 20 carries for seven total yards. Even if you take away the, the sack-adjusted yards, 23 yards of that coming from uh, Peyton Thorne in, in the negative, um, that still leaves Michigan State with 19 carries for 30 yards. So a dominant performance by Ohio State's run defense in this game. Uh, the pass defense had its issues, and we'll obviously dive into that, but they held Peyton Thorne to only 113 yards passing at the end of the day with just one touchdown and the one interception. 
And of course, like you mentioned, on the flip side, another huge game for C.J. Stroud, 21 of 26, 361 yards, six touchdowns, and the one pick, which we'll also talk about in a bit. But overall, just, you know, you look at the stats here, and it looks like a, a team that that dominated from start to finish. 29 first downs to 12 for Michigan State. Um, Ohio State, once again, perfect in efficiency in the red zone. Um, they had four sacks as a team on defense, five tackles for loss total. Each team forced a turnover. Um, and, and, you know, we were kind of interested a bit. I don't know if we really worried about it, but we were interested in how Ohio State would look in its first game on the road, you know, the first game away from Ohio Stadium for a lot of these younger guys, especially, you know, the newer. You couldn't tell, though, Gene. There was a lot of red in that yeah, stadium. a lot of red, and I don't think it really would have mattered even if it was all green and white out there because they, they did not look rattled even a little bit. Um, you know, the one net negative going into this game, which we could talk about here, is that, you know, Ohio State once again missing a bunch of players, uh, one of those guys being Mayan Williams. And so after last week where, you know, Trayvon Henderson was out for the game, coming into this one, we knew Mayan Williams wouldn't be ready to go. Um, we didn't really know how healthy Trayvon Henderson was going into this game. So a bit of a big question mark there at running back, but didn't wind up impacting the game in the slightest. Ohio State was still without Jack Smith and Jigba. So it was your usual crop of wide receiver talent out there for C.J. Stroud so far this year. And all in all, like I said, just a, a really good game start to finish. This game was never really in doubt for Ohio State. It was tied 7-7 early, but other than that, I mean, Michigan State never really felt like they were threatening. They never had really many long, sustained drives, and when they did, it was you know mostly because of either penalties or like one big blown assignment. So um, all in all, I think a lot to be positive about from this game. I think that you know a lot of the stuff that we talked about, a lot of stuff we were worried about, you know, Ohio State's passing defense being tested a bit didn't really happen in this game. Um, Ohio State may be playing you know, a, a tougher team against the run a little bit more, maybe C.J. Stroud with a, a better pass rush. None of that was a, as an impact in the slightest. Um, Mel Tucker in his first you know, couple of games against Ohio State here as the Michigan State head coach has not gone even remotely well. But yeah, like I said, overall, a, a, an extremely positive game. A lot of Ohio State could take from this game, uh, both to work on and just that they've done well so far heading into their, their mid-season bye week. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a good time to be the Bucks. It's a good time to hopefully get healthy, but we'll talk about that as the podcast goes on. I think the overarching theme for me, the biggest takeaway is this Ohio State team was calm, cool, and collected. It was not the most hostile environment in the world. I did expect a bit more from those fans in East Lansing, but um, from beginning to end, C.J. Stroud was completely under control. He had the one miscommunication. You, you throw that out the window. That sort of stuff happens. And then the defense, you know, maybe they could have, um, you know, overreached, overreacted, overplayed these Michigan State wide receivers. But for the most part, I think they did pretty well. The, the two lines were just completely dominant. I definitely want to touch on that because I think that they are – those two groups, the offensive and defensive lines, are sort of the unsung heroes of the of this season so far. And I, I think that in the past, maybe not under Ryan Day, but just generally speaking, in the past, if we had seen that pick six, right, that made the game 7-7, seven, seven, tied it up, we've on occasion seen that sort of trip Ohio State up, even if it's not for an entire game temporarily, right? You'll have a slow quarter after that. Maybe they could have gone into the second quarter 14-7 or something like that. But the Ohio State offense did not skip a beat. C.J. Stroud was completely undeterred by that. Like I said, you throw it out the window, things like that happened. It was a miscommunication. They came right back, touched down to the same guy, Emeka Egbuka, that he had the issue with. And um, as far as Mel Tucker goes, that was one of my big surprises, too, is that he would not have his team up for it. 
Uh, I get that they're coming off three straight losses, but they got housed by this Ohio State team last year. I expected more from them. And really, I think if you're a Michigan State fan or you're part of the ad, the administration or whatever, you've got to be looking at it and like, you know, what did we pay $95 million for? Because they sort of extended his contract on a whim. They're now two and four, four straight losses, been taken to the woodshed in a number of games. And uh, did I hear it right that they called their, their stadium the woodshed? Did I hear that during the broadcast? I, I saw something about that. I've never heard that personally, but I, I did see that mentioned during the game. So I don't know what that was about, but, you, but very ironic. They need to change that right now to the racetrack or, you know, um, whatever. They were boat raced. However you want to quantify that. They've got a lot to work on as a program and as a team. And I think that as time goes on, that contract is going to look more and more troublesome unless there's a quick turnaround. And maybe it's not this year and you look at it in the aggregate and you're like, hey, up year, down year. And then you can kind of get back with recruiting, more transfers, what have you. But um, similar to the Wisconsin game, I just expected more from Ohio State's opponent and We've seen it, you know, Paul Christ was fired. That's not going to happen with Mel Tucker, at least not right away. But I'm just kind of sitting here thinking, what's going on with the Big Ten? You know, Gene, we expected a lot more from Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, teams like that. And it's just, it is a total three-horse race right now. Four, if you want to include Illinois, which I am not. I refuse to until they play an upper echelon team. It's just, it's an odd season in the Big Ten, but as a result, Ohio State just looks that much more dominant. But in the back of your mind, you've got to have at least some curiosity about what we're going to see moving forward, which, uh, again, I know we will get to at a later date, a later time. But, um, yeah, just very surprised by this. But you'll take the outcome, and hopefully the Ohio State's confidence is going to stay at 100% where it's at right now. A lot to kind of hang their hat on despite – the weaker opponents they've now played that seemed much better at the beginning of the year. Yeah, listen, I mean, Ohio State is not going to apologize for, you know, the opponents they're playing. They're, you know, they, you can only beat the teams that are on your schedule, um, and they've done that in resounding fashion so far. And, you know, even still, you know, you look around the country here, you know, a team, uh, Alabama struggled with a, a, a Texas A&M team this past week that lost to App State. You've seen, uh, you know, Georgia struggle with Mizzou. So even though all these other teams, or these other top-tier teams are also playing some lesser competition, they're having much more struggles than Ohio State has had thus far, really since – that first half against Notre Dame, Ohio State hasn't struggled even a little bit. So um, it's it's been impressive to watch. You know, you can't control your schedule, but Ohio State has, has taken care of business as they should against these teams. And so, you know, coming into this game, we knew what Michigan State was. And, yeah, like you said, it is kind of surprising that the Spartans wouldn't get up for this one. You know, given the, the losing streak, you figure if there's any way to get your season turned around in any significant way, it would, would be at home, you know, a significant upset against Ohio State. Um, or even if you're not going to pull the upset, at least make it competitive. And they didn't really come out with any sort of fire. It seemed like once Ohio State went down the field and scored quickly, they they already you know they already felt like they had lost the game. Um, it just felt like the air was taken out way too quick, and they just never bounced back from it. It's, it seems like what Ohio State has been doing to teams so far this season is getting them out of the game quickly. And when you have the kind of offense they have, this this high powered passing and rushing offense, it is tough to stop. And so. I think that's where you could kind of start with this one, breaking down the offense. Um, we did talk a little bit here about Stroud um, and the performance he had. You know, completed over 81% of his passes, those 361 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, the one interception was was like you discussed, a, a miscommunication between he and Abuka. Abuka was clearly supposed to 
sit in the flat, or at least that's where Stroud thought he was going to. Uh, Buka kept running straight, and the corner just sat where Buka should have been, picked it off, and ran for six. So technically, another touchdown pass for C.J. Stroud. He never hit the ground, but unfortunately yeah, it was... Seven. Yeah, he has a seventh touchdown pass this game. Unfortunately, one of them was to the wrong team. But other than that, um, and it wasn't like it was a bad throw. It was just a straight-up miscommunication. Other than that, he was nearly perfect. Um, I do have to give Ryan Day a little bit of credit in this one. We've, you know, we've picked on his play calling earlier in the year at a few points, but I thought the play calling in this game was very good. I thought Ohio State ran a lot of well-designed passing plays, a lot of stuff where it looked like plays they've run earlier in the year, but it wound up being something different. I saw there was a couple of plays where, you know, they kind of ran uh, Cade Silver into the flat and it looked like it was going to be an easy dump off, but Stroud wound up throwing over him to the second level where a guy was kind of waiting there on the sideline as well. So a lot of good play design in this one, especially in the passing game. Um, you know, you look at some of the receiver numbers in this game. Again, it was another day where both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emek Agbuka put up well over 100, 100 yards. Um, Harrison, seven catches, 131 yards, and his third three-touchdown performance of his career already, um, which is pretty insane given that he's started, what, now seven seven games officially at Ohio State, and he's got three yeah. three-touchdown games. Pretty nuts. Um, Ibuka right behind him, five catches, 143 yards and a touchdown. He also had that long 69 yard touchdown. Like you mentioned, I thought it was really cool for Ohio state to go right back to the well there, right after Stroud. And he had that miscommunication. The very next play was a long touchdown connection from Stroud to Ibuka kind of, you know, clearing the air immediately getting those seven points right back. And so it was cool to see that. Um, your boy, Julian Fleming, right behind him, four catches, 81 yards, and yet another touchdown. All this man does is score. Uh, pretty much every time he's taken the field, he scored at least one touchdown. So we love to see Ohio State's, you know, three healthy, three top healthy receiver options getting into the mix. Um, the Buckeyes haven't really, you know, obviously they missed Jack Smith and Jigba. He's one of the best receivers in the country, but this, this receiver core has not missed the beat even a little bit. You know, Harrison, Ibuka, and Fleming have all been phenomenal when on the field. You throw Cade Stover in there as a legitimate fourth option, and you have a very good set of weapons for CJ Stroud, who himself has been pretty much on the money. And then on the flip side, you know, the run game, uh, without Mayan Williams, it was the Travion Henderson show. 19 carries, 118 yards, and a touchdown. Looked good. You know, it was it was kind of more of the same for Trayvon Henderson. He averaged 6.2 yards a carry. Um, had some really nice runs. He looked like he was, you know, a man on a mission early in this game. He didn't really do much in the, the second half because Ohio State starters didn't play much in the second half. But um, when he was out there, he looked good. You know, nothing super special, but I thought he um, hit the holes a little bit better than he has earlier in the year. He, was, he didn't have as much indecision as we kind of talked about uh, either last week or the week before when we were kind of talking about the the running back one, running back two situation with he and Williams. We kind of talked about how Williams was more decisive and hitting the holes better. I thought Henderson did a much better job in this game. Um, didn't really break anything anything super long. His long was 26 yards in this game, but I thought overall he did a very good job toting the rock. Um, without Mayan Williams there, uh, Dallin Hayden was your second man. He had 14 carries for 70 yards, so five yards per carry from him. We saw Xavier Johnson get in the mix a little bit there, formerly a walk-on running back. He had three carries for 23 yards, so 7.7 yards per carry for him. Overall, just another dominant performance in both you know through the air and on the ground for Ohio State. The offensive line looked fantastic. They kept Stroud clean for 90% of the afternoon. Uh, there's huge holes to run through in the running game. So overall, I mean, I don't think there's really anything to complain about in this game from Ohio State's offense. It's pretty much exactly what you would want against a team like this. We knew Michigan State's secondary was troubled. Um, Ohio State certainly took advantage of that, but they still, you know, showed a commitment to running the football as well. And when you put up, you know, 614 total yards, 377 through the air, 237 on the ground, I think that's kind of the ideal balance for Ohio State. Kind of a, you know, a, not not totally a two-thirds to one-third pass to rush, but 
more of like a you know three fifths to two fifths style of, of offense where it's a little more pass heavy, but that run game is super strong. And I think they might have seen even more running if Mayan Williams was also available in this game to kind of bounce off of Henderson. But yeah, I, I don't think there's really any takeaway other than the one pick, which like we said is is more communication than anything else. I thought this is about as, as flawless an effort from Ohio State's offense as we've really seen so far this year. Well, let's address the pick, right, in a tongue-in-cheek manner. Three games in a row with an interception for C.J. Stroud. But uh, the first two, uh, I think he probably tried to bite off a little bit more than he could chew. Maybe he was even bored trying to fit something in a window yeah, those that were, wasn't there. Uh, I'm going to call those heat check interceptions from C.J. Stroud. Especially the one into quad coverage, right? He was just predetermined. He's like, look, we're going for this, and if it gets picked, so be it. I've got five, six other touchdowns in the bag. But he has been outside of one half he has been near perfection he is doing the things that he needs to do sans jackson smith and jigba i think that he clearly has a level of trust with all of these healthy wide receivers and i think how he benefits is these guys seemingly all have a different skill set while all still being explosive you know marvin harrison jr if you put it up in the air where it needs to be, he's going to come down with the ball. And C.J. Stroud has the utmost confidence in that. The back shoulder kind of like ankle catch in the end zone was ridiculous. The one he dropped in the bucket on the sideline was otherworldly. He knows that Marvin Harrison Jr. is that guy for the tight window throws, in my opinion. Then you've got Emeka Ibuka, who is, for my money, the most explosive player on this team in space with the ball in his hands. I know he can run the route, he can go and get it deep, but he just, he has an ability to get open and there's seemingly nobody within five yards of him, whether that's footwork, uh, you know, just all of his fundamentals. And then he gets it in space and he's so electric. We've seen it a, a time or two as a kick returner as well, even though he hasn't busted one yet. We know what he's capable of. And then Julian Fleming, I know he's had a couple long touchdowns, but he is your more middle of the field, your sideline route guy, your quote-unquote safety blanket in addition to Cade Stover. So all of those guys sort of play a role while at the same time being capable of so much more. I think they can be interchangeable, but they haven't had to be. And they just they lean on the strengths. The the coaching staff and C.J. Stroud, they lean on the strengths of those guys, and they've all figured out what they are. So that passing game really seems – unstoppable and that's without arguably the best wide receiver in the country i'm actually interested now to see how they integrate him into the game plan it it almost seems unfair for the opposition hopefully we get to see that against iowa but they're doing all the right things i love the g scott jr finally found the end zone i think that he has really worked hard and sort of turned himself into a capable tight end i would even like to see him out there in some more two tight end sets because in my opinion, again, he's more explosive than Cade Stover. Um, so just really cool to see him get in the end zone. And then the running game. I thought Travion Henderson ran with physicality, maybe more so than we'd, we had seen him in his first four games played. Like you said, he hit all the right holes. He was initiating contact. He took a big hit to the hip. Sounds like he could have come back in the game. Maybe we... Uh, might want to have a talk with CJ Stroud about the business decision. You know, I, I don't think that you want your quarterback out there as the lead blocker, but he he wanted no part of that. Travion Henderson paid the price. I'm, I'm sure that they're going to get over that, but he looked really good. Dallin Hayden provided what you needed him to. 
as a supplement. And Xavier Johnson, too. I like how they mixed him in. I think that's something that they could use further down the road as sort of a scat back pass catching option. Only three carries, but again, effective. And the guys up front, that's really what I wanted to talk about. These guys are playing at such a high level right now, and I don't even know who it starts with because I think they're all playing at a high level. Your bookends, they're not allowing pressure from the outside, and then the big guys in the middle, they're clearing out holes, specifically for Mayan Williams, but we saw it with Trayvon Henderson in this game. The off-guard inside tackle runs are there, which we did not see last year. So if I'm giving C.J. Stroud an A, A-plus for the year, I'm giving the offensive line a certified A+. They have been lights out in each and every game. And if Michigan State did have a strength on their defense, it was in the run game, limiting opponents to you know whatever their average is on the ground. That was not the case. And they've got some dudes, right? They've got Jacoby Winman. They've got Cal Halliday. Those guys really had no impact on the game because of those guys up front. So that's why I said they are part of the unsung hero group they are protecting C.J. Stroud so well right now. They're opening up holes for the running game, and it's allowing everything else to click. And I'm just I'm loving what I'm seeing from the totality of this Ohio State offense right now. Yeah, and before we move on to the other side of the ball real quick, I want to talk a little bit more about Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, how mad are NFL scouts Freak that this show. guy? How Freak mad show. are NFL scouts that this guy won't be draft eligible at the end of this season? I mean, he is just a, a perfect specimen of a wide receiver out there. You're looking at a guy standing at six foot four with the athleticism that he has, and he's not, you know, he's not the fastest guy on the field, but he could get it done out there. He's not, he's not slow by any means. He could still take the top off a of defense when given the chance, but. A number of catches he made in this game specifically, or that we've seen him make, you know, across the season so far. Um, he he mossed the guy in the end zone for an early touchdown. He had that ridiculous leap and grab, like almost around the corner for his third touchdown of the day. This this kid is looks every bit like the son of a, of a Hall of Fame NFL wide receiver. And I have just been, you know, the, the hype around him coming into the season was obviously tremendous. You know, J, JSN was the top guy in this room, but we heard so much this offseason about Marvin Harrison Jr., especially after his big Rose Bowl performance. And we didn't really quite know what to expect from him this year because of the, the depth Ohio State has at this wide receiver position. But I, I think he's going to be a very significant almost 1B to JSN's 1A when he is back. And then you throw in Emeka Buka out there as a 1C. That is a, a dangerous wide receiver core. And it's almost, you know, I would almost say it's it's maybe not as good, maybe not as refined as, as the trio of JSN, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson just because those guys had more experience when they were all playing. But this is every bit as good as that group, I think, so far. And, you know, at least through six games from what we've seen, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. has been tremendous. Emeka Ibuka has been great. And Julian Fleming coming on as that number three now. And once JSN comes back, this receiver core is just insane. But I think Marvin Harrison Jr. especially has been one of, you know, the players of the season so far for Ohio State. This kid is just really fun to watch, and I've really enjoyed watching him go up there and get it. Absolutely. And it's almost like they dial him up when they need it. He's had a couple quiet games. They just they didn't need it. They worked the middle of the field. They're like, hey, we're going to feed Cade Stover this game. Hey, we're going to feed Julian Fleming and his return. But yeah, I think that Ohio State has like three and a half number one receivers. I, I think Julian Fleming in many other offenses could fill that role. He does a lot of the dirty work. He's a great blocker and he just he, he does what's asked of him. He's a sort of an underneath guy, but you know the speed, you know the explosiveness is still there. So uh, I, it's almost like I'm not including him. I just, in this offense, he's more of a number two, but the other guys are all number one options in my opinion. And specific to Marvin Harrison Jr., 
I, I was talking with a group of my friends, and I want to get your feedback on this. Is he the most talented overall wide receiver that we've seen at Ohio State in the last decade or so? Do you think that that's fair? I don't know if he's the most talented. I think I have to see a little bit more. I think Garrett Wilson might hold that title for me personally at this point. Obviously, we still have the rest of this year from Aaron Harrison Jr. as well as next year, so he could very well get there. I do think he is the most physically gifted wide receiver we've seen from Ohio State in quite some time. Just That's his fair. his combination of, of length at, at six foot four to move like he does to his, his hands. He seems to catch everything thrown his way. He is just impressive to watch, and he's a noticeable presence on the field with how big he is and just how how strong he is for his size and it's just really impressive to me so I think he has maybe the best physical gifts of any wide receiver we've seen at Ohio State in quite some time but I'm going to hold the most talented for Garrett Wilson for now but I think you know whatever we see the rest of this season whatever we see next year I think it could very well could be Marvin Harrison Jr.'s for the taking uh, with the way his, his Ohio State career plays out and that's fair the physical attributes are just off the map and he's a really special fun player to watch uh any back shoulder any jump ball for him it it seems like a predetermined completion touchdown first down whatever you need from him so I, I do love me some Garrett Wilson and I think he was another superstar talent so it's a good problem to have. It's something we, we've said that a, a hundred times in the past, right? Good problem to have for Ohio State. But yeah, he he was otherworldly and specifically the one that he caught down near the ankle. Like that wasn't a bad throw. It probably looked a little bit more difficult than it had to be. But when you're putting it in his radius, that's sort of all you need to do when you're throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. So just continue to be impressed by him. But getting back to you know one of my earlier points, there are no holes in this offense right now, and they are humming along. I expect them to do so, even against some of the better competition. Are they going to put up 600 yards with ease? Maybe, maybe not. But it seems like they are capable week in and week out. Yeah, and, and we know like you know their next game they're going to play is in two weeks against Iowa. We know Iowa's limitations offensively, but at least defensively it'll probably be the best team that Ohio State has played so far this season. So that'll be another interesting test, but we'll, we'll worry about that when we get there. But I 100% agree. There aren't many holes to pick out right now with this Ohio State offense. It seems like every unit on the field is doing its job at or above expectations thus far. And I think for the most part the same could be said about the defensive side of the ball. Once again here um, for this Ohio State defense, a very solid performance. You know, only really the 13 points allowed if you ignore the pick six. Um, Obviously, that's not the defense's fault. Uh, Once again, the Tommy Eichenberg show uh, led the team with eight total tackles, five solo. He had half a sack, half a tackle for loss, as well as a pass breakup and a quarterback hit. Really just a do-it-all guy once again for Ohio State. He was noticeably uh, present all over the field on a lot of the run plays and even in the passing game as well as some plays in the the second level. Just a a tremendous season so far for him, really playing himself into being a a real chance of a a first or second team Big Ten linebacker. Um, Just just tremendous growth from him from his start at Ohio State career to now. I don't know how much credit Jim Knowles could take for that, but it certainly hasn't hurt him to have a a true linebacker guy out there coaching him, and he has really, really improved through six games, and I hope it only continues. but some, but some, uh, you know. Other than that, I don't think there are really any huge standout performances. Other than um, obviously the continued emergence of Mike Hall Jr., who you know allegedly, as, as as we saw on Twitter today, only registered I, I believe seven snaps in this game. It looked like he was kind of 
banged up earlier. It didn't look like he was going to play in this game, but he did wind up playing a little bit. And in those alleged seven snaps, I have to go back and look and see if that's the official count, but two and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss in those snaps. Just, it seems like every time he was on the field, he was making a play in the backfield. And he has just been a, a true revelation for this Ohio State defensive line. You know, all the hype of JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer on the ends. It's been the Mike Hall show for this defensive line. He has been their most impactful pass rusher coming from the middle of that defense. He just seems unblockable. He's he's throwing guys around. He's getting around guys with ease. He has been just a, a true special talent to watch, a guy that kind of came out of nowhere this season. And he's done a tremendous job, you know, all the way across the board. Um, I want to try to stick to the positives here. We'll obviously get to the negatives, but, you know, a, another good game for Lathan Ransom, who I've thought all year has looked great. He had the pick early on in this game, a nice over-the-shoulder catch to kind of flip the field and get the ball back in Ohio State's hands. Other than that, not a ton of true standout performances. I, I thought, you know, the rest of the the defense performed admirably. We're going to get to the negatives in, in a second. But across the board, I think another very solid performance for this Ohio State defense. They are very clearly, you know, we haven't seen them against the likes of of a top 10 offense or anything like that thus far, but very clearly this unit is leaps and bounds above what they were the last two years. I think, you know, Jim Knowles in his first year deserves a ton of credit for helping to turn this group around. Um, and even when there aren't a, a, a handful of, of standout performances, I think that this as a unit is at worst, you know, an above average defense. I think they're they're more than capable of getting the job done against most opponents they'll play. They obviously have some things to clean up, and we're going to get to that in a, in a second. But I, I think overall you have to be very pleased with how this Ohio State defense has looked through the first half of the season, and especially here against Michigan State, which might have had a little bit more offensive firepower than we maybe thought they had more going in, but I think it's another good job well done, and maybe they look, made them look worse than they actually are. I would call it another great ho-hum performance, right? It seems like they're they're not on the field that often. Your second leading tackler for the game was Ronnie Hickman with five. Tommy Eichenberg had eight. Got a bunch of guys with one, two, and three, so they're just they're getting off the field or they're allowing a touchdown. You know, there's seemingly no in-between, but yeah, they looked great. Tommy Eichenberg continues to be the leader. I thought the safeties all played well in tandem. Tanner McAllister included with those other guys that you brought up. Um, stopped the run, put a complete halt to anything Michigan State was trying to do on the ground. I thought Denzel Burke looked the best that he had probably looked. And I know you want to get to the corner, so I'm not going to give too much away there. And yeah, Michael Hall Jr., he is about that life. He is an absolute game wrecker up there in limited snaps. It's sort of like they they let the dog loose when they need to, right? They let the monster eat when it's called for. He has just dominated up front. I think he even had another sack that was negated by penalty. So he could have had three and a half sacks. Tommy Eichenberg had the other half and Jerron Cage had one. So assignment football, discipline football with, uh, you know, a couple notable exceptions it's just a really impressive unit. They've grown leaps and bounds seemingly from last year. And again, they need to be tested or we presume that they're going to be tested by an upper echelon offense at some point. But you're right. Maybe they are looking, maybe they are forcing opponents to look far worse than they really are, because I still argue Michigan State has some dudes on that side of the ball, specifically at wide receiver. I look at a guy like Keon Coleman. He had one catch for five yards. We can talk about the other guys, but Keon Coleman's basically a uh, a size replica of Marvin Harrison Jr. He's a big physical dude. He's a basketball player, so he can go up and get it. And they completely handcuffed him. So another great performance from this defense. We got to see some uh, backups later on. They gave up another touchdown to, to Noah Kim, which as a side note, 
look, I, Ryan Day had already called off the dogs, and then Michigan State is going no huddle, empty sets, throwing the ball down the field. So I almost wanted Ryan Day to put guys back in or – for goodness sakes, let Kyle McCord throw the damn ball. But we didn't see that this week. Regardless, another great performance from this Ohio State defense, and I think they're in in store for a couple more based on what we've seen. Yeah, just looking at the overall season stats here, Mike Hall, who, by the way, missed a game entirely and now had this seven-snap performance against Michigan State, seven-and-a-half sacks on the season to lead the team. Oh, no, sorry, four-and-a-half sacks, seven-and-a-half tackles for a loss thus far on the season, both to lead the team. Just, just tremendous stuff. I mean, if he was playing full snaps or getting the, even like the starters amount of, of reps, which he, I mean, he is kind of a starter at this point, but he's not really getting full reps at least these past couple weeks. But nonetheless, just a tremendous job by him. Um, second in that list, you know, a two ta- two sacks behind him. Tommy Eichenberg with two and a half, six tackles for loss. Those are both second on the team. So you have a guy who plays pretty much every defensive snap on the team. Uh, that is a, a tackle and a half and a two two sacks behind a guy who's playing like every other down, basically. So pretty impressive stuff from Mike Hall as far, especially from the middle of the defense where you don't really expect um, your sacks to come from. Just a really impressive job. But yes, we do have to talk about the kind of the one drawback in this game. And it not, wasn't a, a massive drawback, but it was a noticeable reoccurrence in this game and something that we've talked about here a couple times now. These Ohio State corners haven't been the best thus far in the year. And I mean, you look at the game stats and you're like, you know, how bad could they really have been Peyton Thorne through for 113 yards? It's not like they're getting diced up there. We've seen, you know, Ohio State defense in the past get absolutely carved up by anybody who could throw the ball even a little bit. So it's certainly not that. The problem really comes down to the fact that these guys, as we, you know, I think we talked about this in the preview for this 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 week's game, um, they're in the right places. They're just not making plays on the ball. Um, and, and so it's just, it honestly, it's almost more frustrating. I don't know. I want to get Josh's opinion on this too. I don't know if you'd rather have a guy that's the, you know, the guys are constantly there. Every time a ball is in the air, it seems like there's an Ohio state corner in front of the receiver. They just don't really know what to do once the ball gets there. They're not turning their head around. They're either letting up the catch because they're not looking or they're, they're drawing a pass interference because they aren't turning their head and they're running into the receiver. It's just very confusing to watch. I don't know if this is, you know, a, a Tim Walton thing, whether he's coaching them to do this sort of thing, but it's just very frustrating to me because we saw, you know, a couple, it's, we saw from different guys. It's not like it's one guy. You know, we saw Denzel Burke do it once. We saw Cam Brown do it a couple times, and I think he wound up getting benched for it later in the game. But it just seems like a common theme across the season where Ohio State's cornerbacks are making, you know, they're doing a good job of sticking to their assignment and sticking with these receivers. But when the ball's in the air, they're not turning around. They're not playing in the air well. And I'm not asking every ball that's in the air to be picked off, but, you know, throw a hand up, turn around, knock it away, and at least just break up the pass. You can't be letting up these, you know, 20, 30, 40 yard receptions. And while it hasn't hurt them so far, this season, they haven't really played a, a dynamic passing offense, and I don't really know if they will in the Big Ten. But nonetheless, like if you're going to be a, a playoff team and a team that's going to compete for a national title, you are going to play at least one or two teams that could throw the ball a little bit. And having corners that know how to play the ball when it's in the air is certainly important. So maybe that's something they work on during the bye week. It is pretty much their, you know, their biggest glaring issue across the board here. I would say is that, that these corners aren't really getting the job done through the air. But like I said, it's not that they're, you know, they're not missing assignments. They're not letting guys run free. It's just that they're not playing the ball well. And I don't really know how to fix that or what's going on there. But it is it is frustrating to watch. It's It's got to be close to half the battle, right? I mean, you want to be in position and then make a play on the ball. They're, they're getting one of those things figured out or they're sorting through one of those things. So I, I honestly don't know where I come down on this issue because on one hand, it is encouraging 
that they are not consistently being beat. You know, we had we saw Cam Brown get beat on a long touchdown, and then he came out of the game. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one earlier in the year. He was probably banged up. We didn't see him for a while after that. So throw that one aside. But um, yeah, like he, he was so close. He was right there and just couldn't make a ball. Credit to Jaden Reed, though. A couple of really nice catches. Um, but it's kind of what we saw under Kerry Combs, right? We would get frustrated from time to time with face guarding, and we're seeing a lot of that. Or just even if it's not traditional face guarding, it's not being able to turn and face the ball. So, yes, it, while it's promising that they are there, they've, I, I think they have to get that figured out because – there are going to be quarterbacks in this conference and you know maybe even the playoff that can fit it into that tight window just as well if not better than Peyton Thorne you know I, Peyton Thorne's probably top 5ish in the Big 10 and he was able to throw a couple balls in the bucket but you you're going to see that with maybe like a Tua Tagovailoa, Sean Clifford on occasion even a JJ McCarthy they can fit the ball in a tight window and if you're you don't have that sort of spatial awareness or that awareness of the ball, you can get burnt and you can give up some some big plays and some touchdowns. So I think they have to figure that out, but you have to at least hang your hat on the fact that they're there. They're in position. It seems like something that is both a, a small issue and a large issue at the same time. I'm not sure what it is. I think that Denzel Burke played much better in this game and a lot of times when you don't hear a cornerback's name, they're playing pretty well. And we didn't hear a whole lot from Denzel Burke. I don't think he was credited with a pass breakup. He had two or three tackles doing everything he needed to do. Cam Brown was the victim in this one, if you can call him that. And you could see when he got called for the penalty and subsequently benched, I, I think the frustration sort of boiled over and he didn't let go of the guy on the sideline. And look, you can't do that, especially in a big game down the line. So, Maybe Jordan Hancock, his return provides a, a shot in the arm for this group, but it's not as if they're playing poorly. They're just not executing the things that they should. And so I hope that that's a teaching moment or a teaching opportunity for Tim Walton and Perry Eliano, too. He he coached corners. He coached two really good ones last year at Cincinnati. I think that they have the guys in the room to figure it out. But you'd like to see them do that sooner than later, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, you know, it's not like they're getting lit up for 300 passing yards a game. At the end of the day, Peyton Thorne threw for 113, and like and like you said, Noah Kim. By the time he came in, it was mostly backup. So I don't really take much credence in his six of ten passing for 82 yards. That doesn't really matter much to me. I think you know it's not like they're getting torched. And and you got to think too with how well Ohio State's rushing defense has been, um, only allowing seven total yards in this game. You're you're forcing the other team to throw more often so you're going to have more opportunities for your corners to get burned and for you to let up yards through the air so it's kind of a you know it's a it's a double-edged sword there where you're forcing teams to throw more because your run defense is so good but it's also your pass defense is clearly the lesser half of your defense so it is what it is at that point you know like like we said they have time this week there's no game this week to work on some of these small issues it's not like it's a a glaring issue it's not something that has cost them any games it's not something that's even really come close to costing them any games at this point they've they've blown out pretty much every opponent they've played um gene i want to interrupt for a second um it's i think more surprising the struggles we've seen from them given what they go up against in in practice because the thought i have in my mind now is cj stroud throws for a simulated 700 yards every practice session because you know if you can't stop the Jaden reeds of the world i don't know what you're expected to do against Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka, things like that. So 
maybe they just need to be fired up in practice. You know, I, I don't know if Egbuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, I don't know if they're barkers. I don't know if they talk a lot, but maybe they need to get in somebody's ear, fire them up, and get and get stopped in practice to give those DBs some confidence. Yeah, maybe they're just bored. Maybe it's just like, man, I go up, up against better dudes in practice. I just, I don't, I don't want to do this right now. These guys aren't very good. Um, maybe it's a little bit of that, but no, yeah. I mean, that is that is an interesting concept. Like, I would love to hear what kind of numbers CJ Stroud is putting up against these guys. Are they holding their own in practice? Maybe it's a, maybe it is just a focus issue, or maybe it's just they're not. You know, maybe they're just not getting the job done. But I feel like we'd hear more about it if CJ Stroud was just, you know, carving them up every time out. I'm sure they make their own, you know, a handful of plays here and there. And I'm sure they're continuing to work on it, but it has been, you know, at least intriguing to watch. But like I said, overall, I think we have to be pretty impressed with how this Ohio State defense has fared both in this game and, and through the course of the first six games. Um, Josh and I, during the bye week, are going to be, you know, recording a, a podcast looking kind of back through this Ohio State de- season, looking forward through the second half as well. But I think overall, um, a, a great start to the season, a great 6-0 um, I don't know if there's much else to really talk about in this game. I think everything else is kind of, it is what it is. You know, injuries continue to, to play a huge role in this season. Um, I don't know if you know, maybe the bye week will, will provide some clarity there. Maybe some guys that were being held out precautionary will start to play now that the, the going is going to get a bit tougher here after the, in the second half. But I think overall, not a ton of huge storylines coming out of this game. Um, the only thing I had really news-wise is that Ohio State did move up to number two in the AP poll. Um, I don't know how much stock to take in that. I think that the you know the top three of Ohio State, Alabama, and uh, Georgia are all going to kind of jockey for position the rest of the way. You know, whoever looks the best in any given week is going to get that top spot, and they're all just going to kind of move around until somebody you know eventually does lose a game. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I don't think there's really a ton else to take from here. I think it's kind of th- this game went about as planned. The offense looked great. The defense did its job, and that's kind of just been the story of every game so far. I expected to have more to talk about, but uh, you know. 49 to 20 victory CJ Stroud basically perfect defense sort of a boring day uh, I wish I could add more for Eugene but at the end of the day we'll take it uh, non-news is good news sometimes and I think that's what we got as a result of this weekend yeah I will take a boring 29 point victory whenever I could get it yeah I think that's about it for us for this this recap podcast this week um, there obviously won't be a game to preview this week for Ohio State, so but we will still have a, a ton of written content about Ohio State this season and about the rest of the, the country's college football as well. So be sure to check out all of our written content over at LandGrantHoyland.com. Be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff all the podcasts ask you to do. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.